Welcome to this podcast from Riverside Church Whitstable. We hope you find it helpful and encouraging. If you would like to find out more information about us, why not check out our website at riversideuk.org, our Facebook page, or follow us on Twitter at Whit Riverside. Okay, Jesus said, you diligently search the scriptures for me, and I'm standing in front of you. You don't see. And sometimes we dive into the Bible and, and sort of rummage around, um, and we miss actually what's right in front of us, which is community, which is a sense of God's spirit, which is doing life together, which is being honest uh, about where we are with our personal walk. So there is no, in God's heart, there's no dichotomy between deep Bible study and doing life together, Okay. Because the Bible leads us to God. The Bible leads us to connection with God. And God often expresses his connection with us through other people. That's why we're all sitting here today as a family, as a body. Uh, Because this is what God has ordained. This is the pinnacle of his wisdom. He says this is his manifold wisdom in scripture. So you are God's best idea this morning. (laughs) It's always the same look when I say that. You go... So, so in God's heart, there is, there is no split, there is no schism. And sometimes as evangelicals in history, we think it's all about deep Bible study. But actually, you could spend the rest of your life in Matthew 6. And if you just, if you just applied that to your life, that would be enough. The Beatitudes, you know, you could spend some time there and just applying that to your life would be enough. We heard some of you doing the, I think, Lectio 365. And uh, Pete Gregg was talking about the Apostle John when they carried him around at the end of his life. And they carried him around. He had, and he had one, one phrase. Wherever he went, one phrase. Basically, love one another, little children, because that's what God's heart is for you. And they kept saying to him, why do you keep saying the same thing wherever you go? He said, well, that's enough. That's enough. If you just did that, that would be enough. So, um, so no more deep Bible study. You can love your Bible, you can get into your Bible, you can passionately try and plumb the scriptures, you can look at the hermeneutic, you can look at the Greek, you can do all that sort of things now. So many tools are available to you, but that isn't more spiritual than doing life together in God. Amen? Amen. Okay, so a little rant from me over, I'm going to move on. Um, we're going to continue with our, um, with our unhurry series today. We're looking to try and slow down. Now some of you might think the last thing we need to do is slow down. We need to speed up. So we can do more things for God. Amen? (laughs) This series isn't about pace. It is about space. What we're trying to do is make space for God in our busy lives. That's what this is all about. It's not about being less productive, less fruitful. It's about creating space for God in a busy life. We talked um, last week about fasting, and I know many of you are doing that in various forms today, and I, I'm hearing the fruit of that, which is, which is wonderful. And we said that fasting is a little bit like turning the volume down on the noise in your life, and you're turning it down low enough and long enough so you can discern God's activity. You can begin to recognize God's voice, and that's what fasting does, and that's what fasting, I think, is doing for many of you. I'm hearing great stories about the fruit of you denying yourself in some way and God's coming in to meet you in that place and that's really exciting Jesus didn't say if you fast he said when you fast so there's an expectation for followers of Christ to nurture certain inner life disciplines that help us to maintain our vitality not only spiritually but also emotionally 
So Jesus had an expectation that we would do certain things. We wouldn't shout about them. We wouldn't sort of crow about them. These things, he said, do them in secret. And when you do them in secret, your Father will reward you. In fact, he said, it will be manifestly obvious to other people that you're doing this in the secret place because you will radiate Christ. But the term used in the Greek for manifest, it's like, it's like it'll be, there'll be a glow upon you. People will know that your secret life is good because when they meet you, your public face will radiate Christ. Recently, um, a lady called Ruth Haley wrote a book called Strengthening the Soul. And she listed ten things that might be like red warning lights on the dashboard of your life that might indicate your inner life isn't maybe what it should be. And so, I want to put these on the screen for you today, maybe just as a, as a start for ten. And uh, this isn't to create any guilt or anything like that, but just maybe raise an awareness in you of where you are in your own spiritual walk. So, you might be experiencing irritability if your inner life isn't good. You might be quick to get angry. You might be quick to judge or quip or be sarcastic. That can be a concern. That can be an indication that your inner life needs attention. Hypersensitivity. You find the little things upset you rather than the big things. You quickly jump to conclusions. You things need attention. Restlessness. You try and relax, but you can't. Even when you make space in your life, you find yourself, you have to be doing something. You just can't, can't sit still. You can't be at rest with yourself. Compulsive overworking. You might bury yourself in your work or your job, or if you're retired, a different activity. You might just find it really hard just to stop and be still. You might be experiencing some degree of emotional numbness. One of the first things that goes when our interior life declines is empathy. We find it harder to feel. We find it harder to, to, to come alongside someone and kind of feel what they're going through. So you might experience some lack of feeling. You might begin to get into escapist behaviours. You might bury yourself in a hobby or a habit or a, a, some other form of distraction that just kind of lets you off the hook of having to kind of look inside and figure out what's going on. You might retreat into Netflix or alcohol or you name it. It doesn't have to be something you deem to be bad, but it can be an escapist behaviour which helps take your mind off your inner life. You might become disconnected from your identity. You lose sight of who you are. You lose sight of what you're for. You lose sight of, of your value. Sleep, to eat healthily, to exercise. And you might start to what they call hoard energy. You feel like you've got such a little deficit of energy, you find it hard to give anything away. So if someone says, can you pray for me? You think, I've got nothing to give you. I've got no time, I've got no resource, I've got nothing to offer. And you're in this cycle where the very things that you know would help slip even further. So a slippage of spiritual practices might mean you find yourself spending less and less time in the Word of God or or praying, or connecting with people, or sharing honestly. Now, I know that for all of us, we resonate with some of those, don't we? And that list isn't up there to make you feel guilty. It's up there to start, kind of say, there's things in our lives that are like, are like warning lights to us. And the reason they're there is to help us look under the bonnet and say, actually, what needs attention? What needs attention? 
you might be thinking, well, my life is so kind of fraught and busy, the last thing I have got is to find more time to fit God in. I have no capacity to kind of increase my God space in my life. We live in a culture that shouts carpe diem, doesn't it? Which means? Seize the day. We've been drummed, <laughs> that's been drummed into us probably over the past decade. You've got to seize the day. You've got to make the most of every opportunity. It's a limited commodity. And so we've been raised even more so probably in the last decade that we have to seize the day. We feel like unless we're doing something with our time, it's kind of slipping away. It's being unproductive. And if I'm honest, this is something I really struggle with. In my kind of natural makeup, I'm, I'm an achiever. I love to achieve things. Every day, I like to feel like I've made something, I've, I've read something, I've uh, fixed something, I've been somewhere, I've done something, anything. It doesn't matter, anything. Anything would make my, my day feel productive and useful. And that can be a strength because it means I've got a lot of energy to, uh, to crack on with things. We've renovated two houses in our lifetime, which is, you know, has been hard work. But if you've got a driver like that, it can help you. But when it comes to slowing, that is a real challenge for me. Because I can look at time just spent being still in God's presence as incredibly unproductive. I'm not making anything. I'm not doing anything. This is why I think Jesus was a carpenter. Because for about 10, 12 years of life, he made things. He could say, look, I made that table, I made that chair, I made whatever he was making. The tangibility of things like that, I really understand. I really like. The challenge of retreating into the secret place and not sort of working through the next sermon series for church or not sort of thinking about the breakthroughs we should be doing, just slowing and stopping and being still with God is a real challenge for me in my makeup. Now, you'll have things in your makeup that, that will hinder you from slowing. I don't know specifically what they are today, but you do. You know the things that, that prevent you from slowing. And it's good to pause and reflect and say, what is it that's hindering me? Is it something in my personality or something in my, my uh, circumstance that is hindering me at this point? So have a think about that as we, as we go on today. Probably as we think about solitude and silence today, which is what we're going to focus on, all the introverts in the room are thinking, yes. And all the extroverts are thinking, yuck. I can figure nothing worse than retreating into inactivity. You know. But in a sense, it's not about our personalities. It's not about our biases. Jesus gave us some hows. He showed us some things when he lived upon the earth. He was incarnate. He wasn't... He came to model to us how to do life well. And so, you remember in our Learning to Listen series last year, we talked, and we talked about that meant literally in the silence. In the silence, God spoke. And uh, silence is one of God's languages. He uses silence powerfully to speak and nurture our souls. And we live in a culture now, a modern culture, which is incredibly, incredibly distracting. The poet Mary Oliver said this, she said, Attention is the beginning of devotion. And that's a really profound thing to say. Because we live in a culture where your attention is being grabbed continually. 
continually your attention. Since 2007, around when the, uh, the first iPhone was launched, when the cloud came online, and things like Facebook and Twitter were birthed, since that time, they call it the, sort of the birth of the digital age. Since that time, your attention is now a commodity that is being sought after in various different ways. And so we now live in a culture of increasing distraction. Uh, some people call it this. They say we live in a culture of continuous partial attention. You're probably even now thinking about checking the scores or checking the news while you're listening to me. Continuous partial attention, which means we're always looking at something, just not for very long, before we hop on to the next thing. We get grabbed by the next thing. Attention for the people around us and towards God. Some of you in this room might be old enough to experience a strange phenomenon called boredom. <laughs> now, boredom existed way back, way back. And some of you will remember standing at a bus queue, waiting for a bus, experiencing boredom, standing in a post office queue, waiting at a checkout. Sunday afternoons, nothing on your three channels of TV. You experience boredom. Boredom. There's nothing there to distract you. There's nothing you can go to. Modern generations don't have to experience boredom because as soon as they feel the slightest sense of boredom, then they just reach for something. You reach for your iPhone, you reach for the TV controller, you reach for the cloud, you reach for anything. And you don't have to experience boredom anymore. There are thousands of apps and thousands of attractions out there, which means you never have to go into that place of experiencing any degree of boredom. And some of this stuff is great because you can access the news 24-7, you can connect with people really easily. I love the fact you can, I can FaceTime my kids in Birmingham. All amazing stuff. But the fact we never have to go into stillness is a challenge for us. That lack of that lack of tolerance is a bit like what's happened with food. Whenever we feel remotely hungry in Western culture, we just can say, satisfy that hunger, can't we? We can go to the cupboard and we can eat normally. We can just go and get some food. But that continual eating, that continual grazing, has led to a massive increase in obesity and type 2 diabetes in the Western world. Because we weren't designed to be grazing machines. We were designed to eat and stop and eat and stop. That's how God designed us. And so that continual access, we, we never have to f go into that feeling of hunger because we can just go and get a bite to eat, go and get some fast food. We don't have to experience hunger. In the same way in modern culture, we don't have to experience any degree of boredom or stopping or stillness because we can just quickly reach for something that is around us. And this is a problem because if attention is really the beginning of devotion, then our attention is continually being hijacked by the things around us. Henry Nguyen, the, the Dutch priest, said this. He said, without solitude, it's almost impossible to live a spiritual life. Don't worry about tomorrow, because tomorrow has enough worry of its own. And what he was saying by saying that was, you can only handle so much at one time in your humanity. 
if you continue to, to feed yourself continually with information and with data and with stimulation, you can't cope with that. So he said, tomorrow will look after itself. You need to focus on being present where you are now. We aren't designed to be people of continuous partial attention. We're designed to be people who are focused in on the situation, the people, and the presence of God right where we are in the moment. And so we haven't got the bandwidth, if you like, to cope with seeing so much. There's a beautiful story in Winnie the Pooh when Tigger climbs a tree and he can't get down because he's too bouncy. And Pooh comes along and says, Tigger, what's the matter? He says, I'm tired from seeing too much. At the top of this tree, he's going round and round and round, and he's giddy with just the perspective he's got. And that's what it's like in this continuous sense of distraction. We are, we are giddy from seeing too much, from being overstimulated, overprovided with information. Whenever our souls feel slightly bored, we just quickly turn to distraction. So solitude and silence is an antidote to this. We need to understand that solitude isn't isolation. It isn't isolation. It's not about being isolation. It's, 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 it's being alone with God. It's being alone with your own soul and being alone with God. The amazing thing about the Christian faith is that Jesus promises we will never be alone. He will never forsake us and never leave us, so we're never going to be alone again. One of the things that many of us fear deep down is loneliness. But by God's Spirit, we can retreat into solitude and he will be with us there. And he will meet us there. When I'm tired sometimes from pastoral ministry, because you're all lovely, but there's lots of you and lots of people in my life, and I'm basically an introvert. So sometimes I crave isolation. But if I retreat into isolation and then just use that time in distraction, I come out of that not feeling replenished at all. If I retreat into solitude with God... God will restore my soul. And again, you'll have your own particular bias and emphasis depending on what your personality is like. Well, Wayne Cadero, the, the pastor from Hawaii, said, isolation is what we end up craving when we've neglected solitude. So if we don't nurture our souls, we all want to run away. We all want to hide. We all want to escape because we sense that, that disconnect. We sense that hunger that isn't being met. Isolation is just a poor imitation. So Jesus invited us into these unforced rhythms, didn't he be talking about during this season? The unforced rhythms of grace. Walk with me and work with me. Learn from me. Learn how to do life better. So let's look at what Jesus did in his own life. Let's turn to Matthew chapter 1. If you've got your Bible, you can. I'll put it on the screen as well. So, sorry, Mark chapter 1, not Matthew chapter 1. Mark chapter 1 is like a day in the life of Jesus, an average day in the life of Jesus. If you look in your, verse 21 in that passage, you'll see that he, was, um, he taught in the synagogue. Uh, he went and cast out a demon. He heals a mother-in-law, which is always tricky. <laughs> and even, even in the nighttime, the evening, it's got dark. The whole crowd, the whole town is gathered at his door. There's still hundreds and hundreds of people coming to him to be healed, to, to seek him out. And uh, it's just a normal day in the life of Jesus. Let's read from Mark 1, 35. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up. He left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. 
Simon and his companions went to look for him. And when they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so I can preach there also. If you read higher up in that particular passage, you'll see that Jesus only just come out of the wilderness, spending 40 days uh, in solitude, fasting for 40 days, being tested by Satan. And he's only been out of the wilderness just a few days, the Bible records, before he retreats back into the wilderness, back into the place of solitude. The word here used is eremos, and it means a place of, of separation, of solitude. And we see this back and forth rhythm over and over again in the life of Jesus. Public ministry and private retreat. We see it again in Luke 5. The news about him spread all the more that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. It's the same word used in both passages. The Aramos, the place of solitude, the wilderness place, the lonely place. It seems the busier Jesus got, the more he retreated. And that just doesn't seem right to us, does it? The, the busier we get, the more we feel like we've got to be present, the more like we feel we've got to do. Jesus had the rhythm of as ministry and pressure increased, he retreated to the lonely place. It seems so hard to think, actually, I've got, I've got a busy timetable, I've got a busy life, I've got so many things to fit in. The last thing I need to do is try and fit in going away with God. But the truth is, if we believe that Jesus came to model to us what life was really like and how to do it, we have to somehow think about how we incorporate this, this, this sort of ret- this quiet and community aspect of life. How, what does that look like for you and I? How do we do it? Well, the first thing I think we need to think about is being intentional. We need to set a time. We need to think about a time in our own lives when we can begin to think about being intentional in our lives, about slowing and making space. As I've asked you to ask that question, you might think, well, I, I just, just, this doesn't really excite me at all. I've got so many things that are more important than making more space for God, so much to do. In, the, in project management, when they think about achieving a goal, they talk about lead measures and lag measures. Okay, so let's think about you want to go deeper with God. You want to increase your spiritual passion. The lag measure is often what we focus on. So let's say, and we all decide we need to lose a bit of weight. So we get on the scales and we think, oh my goodness, please. <laughs> now that's called, that's called a lag measure because it's already happened. That is your weight. Believe it or not, there's not been a change in the Earth's gravity. That really is what you weigh. That's a lag measure. You get on the scales and that's, that's happened. That is you. That, is, that has happened. And when we think about our spiritual passion or life, we often focus on the lag measure. We wake up and we think, oh, what, you know, oh, I just feel disconnected from God. I feel like I'm not, my spiritual passion is waning. I feel like my hunger's not there. I'm not doing the things I used to do. And that's a lag measure. That's, that's where you are. 
That's, that's the state of the nation. If you wanted to lose a little bit of weight after Christmas, you would need to focus on what's called the lead measures. The lead measures are the things you have some degree of control over, some of the things you can put in place. So what would be some of the lead measures you could put in if you wanted to lose a bit of weight? Get rid of all the goodies. What else could you do? A bit of exercise. Eat some dust. Eat some dust. <laughs> Thank you. Remarkably nutritious. You could think about reducing your eating. You could think about some exercise. You could think about some accountability. You could think about any number of things, reducing the amount of temptation in your house. These would all be lead measures, and they're called lead measures because they lead to something. You have control over them. You can influence them. And it's exactly the same with your spiritual life. There are certain lead things that you can do that will influence the way you are spiritually. If you always get on the spiritual scales and look down and go, I just don't, I want to be, I want to be different. All you're doing is, is lagging. You're lagging in your spiritual growth. If you want to lead in your spiritual growth, then you need to look at the lead things that will help you. And one of the lead things that is essential that Jesus showed us for spiritual health and vitality is solitude and silence. Coming aside with God and allowing him to refresh and to nurture our souls. Now I want to invite Claire to come up because Claire's been doing something over the past few days that, um, that uh, I think would help speak into this. What's been happening, Claire? So I decided as part of the fast that I would give up uh, lazing around in bed in the morning um, because it's something that I really miss. I mean, I don't get up late. I get up about seven, but I'm one of these people that really loves my bed, loves my duvet, and five more minutes under the covers is just, just it for me. And when Simon can do to make room for God in my life, and I decided to get up at six o'clock in the morning. I set an alarm every day, including yesterday morning when we'd been up on Friday for the half night of prayer. Very impressive. And I've been, yeah, having quiet time with just me and God. I've been using the Lexio app, um, writing in a book, and just being calm and quiet. And how do you feel? I feel great. I, I was really surprised. I mean, the first day I woke up and I was quite excited because when you try something new, you often are. But each day, the alarm's gone off and I thought, right, here we go. And I'm optimistic and expectant that something will happen. That's okay, thank you. So is that intentionality that we're going to influence our spiritual temperature? We're gonna, it's not just going to happen by us hoping. We're, we're making a choice. We, we're focusing on a lead thing. What can we do to lead into a change? So let's think about some of the things we can do. We can set a time. Everybody's got different biases. Some people are morning people, some people are evening people. It doesn't matter. There's nothing more spiritual about getting up early or, or staying up late. It all depends on what works for you. So I think if we're going to be intentional about what would help increase our spiritual temperature is what time would work for you to come aside with God? It could be, a, 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 it could be your lunchtime at work. You could choose to get away from work and, uh, and just go out for a walk. Just spend some time away from the workplace. Again, the pressure of work and the workload will tell you you can't possibly do that. You know, you can't possibly make space. But you can. You can. I was in an industry for 12 years, and that was the one time I used to go aside, 
told you before, sitting in a horse's field, the horses would look at me, I'd look at the horses, and it would be a place of solitude and silence for me. But the pressure to stay at my desk in industry, in engineering particularly, was huge because of the desire for productivity. But my productivity always increased when I made the choice to come aside with God. A link to that is find a place. Set a place that's as distraction-free as possible. It might just be a chair by a window. It might be a certain place that you know where you can come aside without distraction. I know you, some of you are using your phones. That's fantastic for Bible reading apps and that. But try and turn on Do Not Disturb just for 15 minutes. The world will carry on without you. It's highly unlikely one of your relatives will, will have a crash at that particular point in time. They will be able to contact you after 15 minutes, so don't panic. There's very few things in the world that require 15 minutes always on attention. So you can let yourself off the hook just for 15 minutes, half an hour, depending on what you want to do. In solitude, we experience two, two types of silence. We experience external silence, but we also experience internal silence as well. When we try and quiet our own kind of internal mantras and things going around and just settle and still ourselves in God's presence. And for some of you, that might be harder to do. It might be easy to find the space and the place, but, but turn, slowing down or, or quietening those internal voices might take some practice. And if you're kind of somebody who's always active, you might want to fiddle with something while you're trying to do that. You might find it easier to walk. You, you know, sometimes just, just coming to stillness is difficult if you're someone who is always used to activity. And I encourage you to set yourself a modest goal. Just like Claire did. You know, I'm going to get up at this point in time. It's doable. It's not three in the morning. You know, it's doable. I'm going to do it. I'm going to try and put this in place. And this is not about winning or losing. You're succeeding just by turning up. <laughs> You're winning just by making a choice. You know, it's not about comparison. It's not about competition. It's by making that, that choice to be intentional about your spiritual life. The famous story of Henry Newman, the guy who said about solitude at the bottom there. He went to Mother Teresa uh, to be spiritually mentored by her. He was looking for some great wisdom from Mother Teresa to increase his spiritual vitality. And she famously said to him, spend one hour of your life with Jesus and don't do anything you know is wrong. And that was it. That was the sum of her wisdom. Spend one hour of your life every day with Jesus and don't do anything you know is wrong from Mother Teresa, this wonderful rhythm of retreat into Jesus and then that public life that you know is in tune with the Holy Spirit. Now, one hour might seem like a huge amount to some of us. You know, I think one hour, one hour, I could do so much in one hour. <laughs> that productivity part of me. But actually, you could start with 10 minutes, you could start with 15 minutes, you could set yourself a modest goal that would help you into this journey. Some of you, as I said, might want to sit still. Some might want to go out for a walk in nature. Whatever works for you. John Mark Comer, in his great book, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry, he gives us some exercises that we can do and think about. So one thing you can try is breathing prayer. Henry Newman said, our minds are like monkeys in a banana tree. <laughs> what a great phrase. All running around, clamoring in our thoughts. And one of the ways we can slow that down is just by focusing on our breathing. You know, we breathe in through our nose and we breathe out through our mouth. And we can just focus on our breathing and slow ourselves right down. We can think about breathing out all the stuff in our lives that we know is things we're not proud of, 
and we can focus on breathing in God's love and God's grace and God's spirit. And just sitting and focusing on our breathing for five minutes can massively change that inner, inner state. It's, it's an ancient technique that's been with us for millennia, breathing prayer, breathing in God, and breathing out stuff we don't want. And that's a powerful thing to do. If your mind starts to wonder, you can just say Jesus and just focus on or Father, or you can just focus on that breathing prayer, that slowing down that takes place. And this just helps us to be in God's presence. We're so used to doing lists or praying through things or quickly catching, scrolling, that distraction. This helps us to slow and stop and be in touch with ourselves. We get to feel ourselves again. We get to recognize ourselves again. So often we're disassociated, life's so busy. We don't ever stop. A friend of mine said you have to get off the dance floor and onto the balcony. Because if you're always in, in the Viennese waltz of life, you know, that's what the, you're in the, in the swirl continually. But if you step back and look down on your life from above, you get a chance to, to reflect and you get more insight about it and God can whisper to you different aspects of it. St. John of the Cross said this, what we need most in order to make progress is to be silent before this great God. For the language he hears best is silent love. <coughs> so by stopping and slowing, we get to hear and experience the silent love of God in our lives again. We can think about doing an exercise called feeding and listening prayer. And this is where you allow yourself to feel. You spend time allowing yourself to feel. We're very good at just pressing all our emotions in and putting a lid on them. Our minds particularly aren't our friends. Our minds don't like us to feel. They'd rather it's business as usual. So they, they help to clamp our emotions down. But in feeling and listening prayer, we actually spend time allowing our emotions to rise to the surface, unfettered. We allow them and we, and we go into them and we think about them. We have this great capacity as humans to think about our feelings, to reflect on why we're feeling something. What is it we're feeling? And we can allow the good, the bad and the ugly to rise to the surface in our lives. It's really important we have time to think and reflect about what we're feeling. And we can name those emotions and we can give those emotions to God and we can pray about them. Really important to do. So if you're happy, you can celebrate. If you're sad, you can mourn. If you're anxious, you can give that to God. You can ask for his, his love and trust to be increasing you. If you've got unanswered questions, you can bring that frustration to him. There's so much power in naming business as normal, running from one thing to the next, never stopping to feel. And you can ask God. You can then spend some time listening to him. God, is there anything you want to say to me today? Is there anything you want me to know today? Is there anything you want me to do today? Perhaps, Lord, you want me to bless someone today, to be God with skin on to that person. We spend that time listening to God and hearing his voice speak into our souls. You could ask God, what, what lies am I believing, God, about you, about myself? Will you show me the truth of who I am? Will you show me the truth about you? And as you listen, if nothing comes to mind, that, that's okay. It doesn't matter. You're just still spending time lingering in God's presence. The third thing you think about is Lectio Divina. We've talked about the Lectio 365 app and Lectio, it just means, Lectio Divina just means spiritual reading, spiritual listening. 
So you're actually, you're actually approaching scripture expecting God to speak through it to you. And you're only looking at small parts of it. And uh, the ancients used to talk about the shimmer. When you read scripture and something kind of shimmers, comes out to you. You know, have, that day speaks to you specifically into your situation, to speak to you in your current situation. You're not plumbing the depths of when it was written or the context it was written in. or who, You're not doing a hermeneutic. You're basically saying, God, speak through your word to me today. And these four aspects of that, reading, slowly, meditating, small passages. Those you do in Lectio 365 will know they return to the passage twice, don't they? You hear it once, you go back to it. That's part of this sense of let's, let's meditate and reflect and go again and see what the Lord wants to say. And then you're responding in some way. What, what, what is God saying? What is God trying to get your attention about? What are you hearing today? And then you rest. You rest with God. You rest in God's word. You allow that which has been spoken to kind of be assimilated into your soul. And you might find that gratitude bubbles up, wonder, awe. You see often in writings of Paul, he goes so far and suddenly he explodes with gratitude, doesn't he? He goes off on one. <laughs> you know, God of all one, and, and it's because he's, as, he's, as he's in God's presence, he has a re- fresh revelation of who God is, of who God's love is. That powerful kind of bubbling up of, of gratitude and, and wonder and awe. And some people, if you're an activist, they add a fifth movement to this. They say, God, how can I assimilate that into my life? How can I make it into my life? And you may want to do that as well. You feel that way wired. You take something from that quiet time and say, God, how do I live this out actively? So these are just, just really helpful little exercises to think about and, and, and practices that we can put into place in our own lives. When Jesus said, come to me, let me put my yoke upon you. What's interesting about that is he wasn't giving us an escape. He was giving us a piece of equipment. Many of us want to escape life in some measure, don't we? Sometimes we just want to say, stop the ride, I want to get off. It's just too much. I, I, want, to, I, want, to, I want to escape this life. I want to retreat from this life. I want to get away from this. But Jesus didn't say, I'm here to help you escape. He said, I'm here to equip you for this life. And life is different to Jesus' time, but the pressures and difficulties were probably in equal measure back then. So Jesus says, here's a yoke. Here's a piece of equipment to help you do life better. I'm going to help you and equip you to do life better. And if we listen to him and we actually want to take those words on, we have to say, God, how do we do it? And this rhythm of silence and solitude is one of the most powerful things we can put into our life to equip us to handle all that life throws at us. When we spend time with God, it's like we decompress. It's like life is squashing you down, all its pressures. And when we come into God's presence, we kind of decompress and we, we expand. And we process stuff in a safe place. I have countless times counseled people who in midlife have exploded or imploded because they haven't put into their lives the method of decompressing on a regular basis. The stuff that happens to you, the stuff that you think, the stuff that you do, it does come out, Okay. Don't kid yourself that it doesn't, okay? All the monkeys come home to roost. It all comes out, okay? So some people kid themselves that they just don't need to stop or pause or reflect or process, and then sooner or later, 
It's like a massive safe door just cracks open and it all comes out to play. And the men go and have an earring and buy a Harley and have a fling and <laughs> grow a beard because the hair's gone. They do the whole thing. And women, you, you retreat into period dramas, wherever else it might be, to find romantic love. I don't know. I don't know enough about this stuff. But you see it over and over again. People who are just basically dealing with the pain in all the wrong ways. Dealing with all the stuff that's happened to them in all the wrong ways. Escaping, 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 escaping into different things. We have an opportunity with silence and solitude to process, decompress on a regular basis. Spending day, God, what's going on inside? What am I feeling? What's happened to me? Why am I feeling that? What am I worried about? What am I fearful of? It's in that place, the aloneness with God, the silence of his love, that we really get to do business. And it brings life to our souls. The author Dallas Willard said this. He said, hurry is the greatest enemy of spirituality in our day. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And you can think about all sorts of different enemies to spirituality, but you probably wouldn't have thought that hurry is up there. But Dallas, a fantastic theologian and writer, said this is, the, this is the biggest enemy to your spiritual vitality. You must ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. Because if you miss God, you miss out on what God has for you. You miss out on the goodness of God in your life. And the devil would love to distract you all the way to your death. So you miss out on the goodness and the love of God. And the great thing is, guys, it doesn't matter where you are on your spiritual journey. You can be just seeking out today. You can be on, on the first, first step. You can still be trying to figure out who Jesus is. You can have been doing this for 40, 50 years. But the invitation to silence and solitude is still the same. You don't need any qualifications to do it. You don't need any, any special skills to do it. You just intentionally draw aside with God and allow him to bring rest. So I'm pleading with you today, don't allow our culture of distraction to rob the goodness of God, the goodness that God has for each one of you. If you just make a little choice, if you get hold of those lead measures and say, I'm going to put some things in place, you will reap the benefits. You will see the results. Let's stand together. Psalm 37 says, be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Let's just still ourselves in these last few moments now. Just still yourself before the Lord. I'm aware that we're over time, but again, it's okay. Let's just still ourselves before the Lord. Heavenly Father, I want to pray today that you would remove any sense of guilt or comparison from us. Lord, it doesn't matter where we've been, it matters where we're going, Father. And I pray, God, that from this point today, for every person in this room, God, you would draw them into the rhythm that works for them and connects them with you. Father, we thank you you came and showed us how to do life. These unforced rhythms of grace. And I pray that as we retreat and our spiritual hunger would increase. And you've equipped us, Lord, for life in all its fullness. So, Lord, we want to take that yoke upon us and learn from you. So, Father, I bless every person in this room today. I bless them, Father, to, to be, to God, to fight against distraction and to, to plunge themselves deeper 
into that place with you. Let me ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us about this talk, to hear more or to find out about Riverside Church Whitstable, then visit our website at riversideuk.org. Also, you can contact us through our Facebook page or tweet us at Whit Riverside.